This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 35, entitled Agency and God's Agents in the Old Testament. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I am your host. The God of the Bible has chosen to interact and bless his creation, most often by calling certain persons to be his vessels through whom his interaction and blessings would flow. Throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, there are stories about how God uses people, summons people, and encourages people to carry forth God's will and mighty acts. From Noah to Abraham, from Moses to Samuel, from Elijah to Isaiah, and from Jesus to John the seer, the scriptures are full of examples of willing individuals whom God chose to speak his words and to fulfill his deeds on earth. What sort of authority did someone sent by God actually possess? In other words, when God invests a mission in one of his agents and commissions them for a purpose, does that sent agent bear any of God's authority? And if so, how much? This episode seeks to examine this question as it explores the Old Testament on three key points regarding the principle of agency, specifically with an interest to know how much authority one of God's agents possessed and in what way specifically God invests himself in these commissioned agents. Of course, the relevance for New Testament Christology and understanding the relationship between God and Jesus, whom God has sent, is quite clear when it comes to the principle of agency. So let's begin. Our first point today is that God invests his name in an agent. We're going to see in this passage that God invests his name, his name within an agent. And in Exodus chapter 23, we have an episode from Scripture after the Israelites have been rescued from Egypt, God sends one of his angels to direct the Israelites in the wilderness wandering. And this is what the passage says. Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 21, God speaks and he says, Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. It's Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 21. There we see God sends an angel before the Israelites, and the Israelites are told that they need to obey this angel. They are not to be rebellious towards this angel, and this angel will not pardon them, specifically because... God has invested his name in this sent angel. It says there in verse 21 of Exodus 23, God says, my name is in him. God has invested his own name, his own authoritative name into this angel. Of course, nobody would confuse this angel with the God of Israel. And when you read the story of Exodus, no one ever confuses this angel with Yahweh himself. But it's clear that an angel, a messenger, represents in some sense the one who sent 
that messenger. And here, the one that sent this angel is God himself. And so, since God can send this angel, God can invest his own name into this angel, and presumably this angel can say, thus says the Lord, or I am the Lord your God, and people can address him as God with the understanding that that agent represents the one that sent him. So that's our first point, that God invests his name into an agent. And it's a very important part of the principle of agency, especially looking forward into the New Testament, when we look and we see that God invests many of his names and titles into the risen and exalted Jesus. First and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, and Jesus is even called God on a few occasions. Our second point is that God invests his rule in an agent. God invests his rule, his reign in his rulership. It's an interesting passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 to where God invests his ruling reign in Solomon, the Davidic king. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 23, the passage reads, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king, instead of David his father, prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. That's First Chronicles 29, 23, where Solomon sits on the throne of the Lord. Solomon sits on the throne of Yahweh. Now, throne of Yahweh specifically is in heaven. God rules in heaven and his throne is in heaven. God's throne is not on earth per se, but what we're seeing here is that God has invested his rule and his reign into the Davidic king, into the king that is Solomon, the son of David, the king that is ruling over Israel, and thus the king that is invested with God's rule over all the earth. And Solomon here sits on the throne that has been invested to him so that God's rule and reign can be enacted through this human king. So we see the throne of the Lord, which specifically is in heaven, gets invested onto the Davidic throne on earth. And Solomon here sits on Yahweh's throne. It's a very interesting passage where the throne of the Lord gets invested and represented in a human being, into Solomon. Nobody here obviously is going to conclude that Solomon is the Lord, that Solomon is Yahweh himself. But we do see here that because God has invested his rule, his reign into this human king, that the passage goes on and says that Solomon prospered and all Israel obeyed him. Certainly Solomon here, the Davidic king, ruling on God's commissioned throne, bore lots of responsibility and certainly lots of authority in and of himself. And so what we're seeing there, our second point, is that God can invest his rule in an agent. And of course, looking forward to the New Testament, we can see that the kingdom is called the kingdom of God, and it's also called the kingdom of Christ. In Ephesians 5.5, 5, it actually is called the kingdom of Christ and God. Jesus can speak about his kingdom, and he can speak about the Father's kingdom, and they're not separate kingdoms. They're the same kingdom, because God can invest his rule into the human king, into the human Messiah. Of course, Jesus is also a Davidic descendant, the climactic Davidic descendant, and thereby the things that are said 
about Solomon could also be said about Jesus himself. Our third point today is that God invests his attributes in an agent at certain times. Yes, God invests his attributes, things that describe God specifically. In Psalm 104, verse 1, the passage reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. That's Psalm 104, verse 1, to where God possesses the attributes of splendor and majesty. These are two Hebrew nouns, the words hod and hadar in Hebrew. But we can also see that splendor and majesty can be invested in the human king. Also in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 21 and verse 5, the psalmist speaks of how God is speaking to the king and this is what it says in this passage. It says, splendor and majesty you place upon him. Meaning splendor and majesty you, God, place upon the human king. That's Psalm 21 and verse 5. Again, the same Hebrew nouns, hod and hadar in Hebrew, splendor and majesty, which were originally attributes of God. But God can place splendor and majesty, his own attributes, upon a human king in Psalm 21 and verse 5. This gets stated even more clearly in Psalm 45, which is a very important psalm because there the human king is called God, but yet still has a God above him. And the New Testament references this passage because of this particular point. But in the first couple of verses of Psalm 45, it reads, My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty. That's Psalm 45, verses 1 through 3. There, God has blessed this human king. Grace has been poured upon his lips. And specifically, he possesses splendor and and majesty. Again, the same two Hebrew nouns that describe the attributes of God that we've formerly seen. And we've also seen that these two attributes can be invested into the human king. And here we actually see the human king bearing and girding his sword in his splendor and majesty. The splendor and majesty, which are God's attributes, but have clearly been invested into this human king. Because God has blessed him with these attributes. God has empowered him with these attributes. That might be a better word to use. God has empowered this human king. Very clearly there, the human king would not be confused with the God of Israel. No one would look at the human king with these attributes and say that he is imposing upon God's holiness. No, because God has authoritatively and authentically invested these attributes of himself into a human king. So this human king rightfully bears these attributes because he's ruling on God's behalf, because he is reigning as God's representative. Of course, this has lots of bearing in the New Testament because many of the attributes of God get empowered onto Jesus God is the one that lives forever. Of course, God has invested eternal life into Jesus. The attribute of God being the judge 
has been invested into Jesus. Jesus is now the judge. To where the New Testament can say that Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of God and the judgment seat of Christ, referring to the same event. And of course, God can give life as the life giver, and Jesus can give life as the life giver, because God has invested that authority into Jesus. You can also look at Jesus forgiving sins, because God has invested that authority into him. So, in conclusion, we have observed that within the Old Testament, God has demonstrated that he can invest his name into an angelic messenger. The implications are that this angel can be addressed as God and with God's name, and this agent bears a considerable amount of authority that require the obedience of the Israelite people. Of course, this sent angel would not be confused with the God who sent it, and the Israelites never confused the angel with the God of Israel. Number two, God can also share his rule with human kings, as was demonstrated by the author of First Chronicles. The throne of God, which exists in heaven, gets extended down to earth in the throne and rulership of the Davidic king who rules on God's behalf. The earthly throne of David became the seat through which God invested his rule and reign in a human king. And number three, God can share his attributes, such as his splendor and his majesty, with human kings. For a human being to possess some of God's attributes would certainly not make them God, but rather a human being whom God has blessed and empowered as his chosen agents. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast and you would like to donate to the work that it is doing, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. I also want to give a plug for some of the YouTube videos that I've been doing on another channel, youtube.com slash allegiance to the king, where you get five new YouTube videos a week from me along similar topics and other topics. That's youtube.com slash allegiance to the king. Thanks so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, take care.